0: Well, I invite you to look back in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Thankful for Casey to fill the pulpit last week. Patty and I and the family had a little time away, which was precious. We're grateful for that. But I want to turn us back to the book of Ephesians. And I know this is the last Sunday of this calendar year, but I thought maybe there's nothing better than for us to even... Know this truth on put on the new self. It's absolutely life-changing for us. It gives us the victory over sin and temptation. And I trust that it will bless your heart and life this morning. Follow with me as I begin reading at 417 of the book of Ephesians. And I'll read down through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Let us bow in a word of prayer as we look to the Word of God. Father, what a joy it is to be able to fix our hearts on this truth and how we need to be able to put off the old man, to renew our mind and to put on the new man made and created in the likeness of your very image. Father, we would pray that your Spirit illuminate this truth to our heart That, Father, even in the hearing of someone who doesn't understand this truth, that you would grant them clarity of mind. That that they could see you and see their identity and see their position. And that, Father, you would lift us out and remind us of this warfare that we find ourselves in in the middle of our sanctification process. So, Lord, we look to you. Be our teacher May this scripture become clear to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we've been in this little section here in 17 through 24, really talking about the greatness in all of the book of Ephesians on the doctrine of salvation. And as I've said the last couple of weeks, it's not all of salvation, but one of the ways to categorize it is justification, sanctification, And glorification. Justification is obviously what happens when you came to a relationship with Christ. He declared you righteous. Glorification is, of course, when we receive that new body and we're no longer battling sin and battling temptation and we're in glory and we shall see Him and be as He is. But we find ourselves in the middle of justification and glorification, bound in the middle in the doctrine of sanctification. And really where we are even this morning in our Christian life and in our world is we, for the sake of a term, live in the middle. We live in the middle. If you're saved, you're justified. You look therefore to the future, to glorification, but we are Living in the middle. That is sanctification. You say, well, Scott, that's a big word. What is it? Well, we've said that sanctification is is the process of growing in holiness. It's to gain, really, an increasing freedom from sin with the focus that we would become more like Christ. Now, in a very true statement, sanctification is warfare. There's our message for the end of the year. The warfare that we face in sanctification is not biological in terms of weapons, but it is an intense spiritual battle that rages in our souls. So while we live in the middle, we are facing this warfare. The Bible's clear on that. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.11 that I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. So we're to abstain from that. Paul said it this way that while he's in this life he likened himself into a kind of a boxing match and he said I discipline my body 1 Corinthians 9:27 I always think that in the new American standard bible it says I buffet my body which some people need to hear that it's not I buffet my body after Christmas I buffet my body, or I discipline my body. The thought is that Paul said, I am in a fight, and literally, I give myself a black eye. I keep my body under control, lest possibly that after I have preached to others, I myself would be disqualified. And so we're in a battle, we're in warfare, we're in a fight. I don't think I need to remind you, but I would in Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Paul said they're opposed to each other. Why? To keep you, he said here's the battle, from doing the things that you want to do. In other words, it is warfare. Sanctification is. It is a process of becoming more like Christ. I think it's no better said than Paul in Romans 7:18, where he said there that I know that nothing good dwells in me." He says, "That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good that I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He said, I'm no longer doing it. And he said there, but sin that dwells in me. I mean, there is, beloved, something deeply within the heart of a believer that wants to honor God with all your heart. Yet within us, there is at times a desire to rebel. And we succumb sometimes to what we promised we would never do. We've been there, we've done that. Sanctification is warfare. And that's where we find ourselves here in 422 through 24. Paul's gonna show us how sanctification works. He's gonna show us how to live in the middle But live in the middle victoriously. Live in the middle with victory. And how he does that is he shows us a contrast between the old man and between the new man. He shows us a contrast between the old self and the new self. The old self was in 17 through 19. It's what we once were when we were unsaved, when we were separated. In fact, look at 17. He says again, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And so he says you can't walk that way. And you actually don't walk that way, because look what he said in verse 20. But this and that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so he contrasts the old self, the old man, with the new self and the new man. And then what he does following from that is he describes, if you will, three truths that are dependent on the verb in verse 20. Look at it. When he says, you did not learn Christ in that way. And then in 21, he says, you were taught in him. And so here's the question then. How do we grow in that holiness? What were we actually taught in Christ? How do we actually conform our life to Christ? And from that fell three truths. Number one, the mortification of the flesh. Number two, the meditation on the Word of God. What he tells us to do and how you were taught and how these Ephesian believers were taught is to mortify the flesh. Put off, he says, In 22, the old self. Now, he's talking about a position there as well as a practice. But he looks back and he says, here's how you were taught. In verse 21, you were taught to kill or to mortify the flesh. In other words, he's reminding you this morning even by the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that if you're a believer, you've died if you will, to the reigning power of sin. In other words, when you came to Christ, when you were converted, when you heard about him, when you were taught about him, when you came to understand the truth of the, uh, the gospel, that old man was crucified with Christ, he died with Christ, and so he says, consider yourselves dead to sin in Romans 6, 11, and alive to God. But he tells us in this sanctification in the middle to mortify the flesh. But that's not all he said. He gave a second truth there. He spoke of the meditation on the Word of God. He said in verse 23 to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, you're not only to take off that old man like an old garment, if you will, you are also in this sanctification process to meditate on the power of the Word of God so that your mind is renewed, is the thought. But here, as we step further into the text, it's not enough just to take off the old man, which in one sense already happened out salvation in your position, but he's now saying in your practice you need to put off the old man, He said, it's not enough just to do that. It's not enough just to renew your mind. But as you live in the middle, as you were taught of Christ, there's something else that you must do. And it's verse 24. You're to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so here we come to that third principle the manifestation of God, the manifestation of Christ. In other words, you're going to kill the flesh, mortify it. You're going to meditate on the word of God. And then every day, as you renew your mind, you are going to manifest in your actions, by your practice, here, the person of God and Christ. And so that's where we find ourselves. Now you say, what does it mean, Scott, to put on the new self? What does it mean to be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness? Well, let me just walk through as it leads into communion with three strategies that will help you do warfare in putting on the new man. In other words, as you put on the new self or the new man, It's going to help you overcome sin. It's going to help you overcome temptation. It's going to help you live victorious. Let me remind you of our position and then our pathway. And then thirdly, our problem. First, our position in sanctification. Our position in sanctification. Look at the text. It says there in verse 24 to put on... It says, "The new self." Here's our position. It, it, it's our position to take it off, and here it is to, to put it on. And, and he's using that phrasing there with almost people who put on a garment and people who take off a garment. In other words, that's what it meant literally. Obviously, he's driving at a metaphorical here, a metaphor here, a position here. He, he's saying to us, Conduct your life in light of God's transformation. In other words, every day we live, we have to put on this new self. Now, what is the new self? You can see the. it functions as a command there. What is the new self? Well, the old self, you remind yourself in verses 17 and 18, it was very clear that you once were mindless or living in the futility of your mind. You were once bound in darkness. You were once hopeless. You were once ignorant without Christ. You were once hard-hearted. You were once callous and reckless and greedy. But now in Christ, here's the truth here. You have become a new person. You have become a new self. And what Paul is saying here is Be who you are. Be who you are. You once lived this way. You once were a Gentile there, not so much ethnically, but a Gentile who doesn't know God. But now you've come to Christ. You heard Christ. You were taught in Christ. And now you must put on this new person, this new man, this new self which you've already become in position Now you must live it out in practice, be who you are. Now just a word there on verse 24, look down, you can see that it talks about put on, and then it mentions the new self, and there's different words in the Greek for new, and one of those is kinos. that's our word here. But when he talks about new here, he's not talking about new in point of time, but new is the thought in point of quality. In other words, when you came to Christ, here's what Paul is saying. You became an entirely new person altogether. Not as a point in time, but new in quality. You were given a new identity, if you will. You were saved In fact, as I mentioned in just minutes ago, when I think of Carmen Mendoza, when she came to Christ in her 80s and was baptized, 89, it was marvelous to behold. She became a brand new person. Christ had redeemed her. Christ had saved her and she was new altogether. This is the thought in 2 Corinthians as you know it well in 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, he is or she is a new what? creation. In other words, you're not just made up and look new. You're not just painted and become a nice person. God reached down, radically saved you, radically transformed you, changed you from the inside out, and you became a new creation. And what Paul is saying here is you need to put off what you once were, which he already changed, and put on here this new self. In fact, it says there, behold, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the new has come. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with what? Christ. When he died, you died. When he came to life and you were raised to the newness of life, you became a new person. In fact, so new that Paul said of himself, it's no longer I who live, but Christ what? Lives in me. And so Paul's mooring us back in the sanctification process. You put off the old, you put on the new, but there's an added thought there that you need to continue to do that. In fact, he said in Galatians 6.15 that we've become a new creation. Now, I, I mentioned that that phrase there in 24, to put on the new self was used of clothing. In fact, it was even in the Bible and the Word of God. So he's saying you're going to put on like you would take off an old garment, put on this new garment. Often we understand that dress is determined by one's job. I mean, I think we grab that. We understand that, that soldiers wear uniforms, athletes on a team, whether that be men or women's, wear jerseys and have jerseys prisoners as I've gone into the prison many times throughout my ministry they have uniforms and I still remember being stunned somewhat to walk into the prison that I used to preach at and there'd be 120 guys in there and they were all in orange jumpsuits all of them that's what they wore that's what they did they had a jumpsuit on with a with a number and beloved, I think we understand that in our society. When I went to see my son, I, I remember being back some years ago when he became a doctor. He, it was a white coat ceremony in St. Louis where he finished medical school and then they put him in a, a white coat. Obviously, it was just more of a, a ceremony at that point. But as you understand, doctors wear white. Nurses have their uniforms. But when we change our role... We change our dress. When prisoners are released, they change their uniform from that orange jumpsuit that they were in to ordinary clothes. When a soldier leaves the service, okay, uh, he becomes a civilian. He gets out of the uniform that they call sometimes civvies, okay? Listen, in terms of the spiritual birth, We have put off the old, this is Paul's thought, we've put on the new, we've put off, if you will, the former manner of life, and we've put off, if you will, the old man, and now we've put on the new man. Our new role means new clothing, our new life means a new lifestyle, and he's saying here, if you will, put on the uniform of the Lord Jesus Christ. Metaphorically, you're to put that on It's both a positional truth and a practical truth. In practice, he's saying, be who you are in your position. Simply to say this, if you're in Christ, he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. If you're in Christ, then he's radically transformed you from what you were to what you are now. He is, if you will, taking you out of the world and taking you and put you into the spiritually, into the heavenly places. And so here Paul is working that tension, what theologians call between the indicative, who you are, and the imperative of how you live. He's taking you from the already, what has taken place in your life, to the not yet. And he's saying to the, you, to me, become what you are live in light of your new identity and this is the truth in fact look over at colossians just for a moment jeff read from it this morning in colossians chapter 3 in fact if you look back he's telling us now in fact look at it in 8 again he says you must 3 8 now put them all away You say, well, Scott, I'm I'm a new person. I'm a new man. Yes, you are in position, but in practice, you need to live that way. So what are you going to put away? Look at 3.8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You are not to coast in grace. No, just the opposite. You've exchanged what you once were to a new man. You become a new woman in that sense. And you're to put these things away. He says in 3.9, do not even lie to one another. Seeing that you have, here's that phrase, put off the old self with its practices. Now he's talking about our position at that last phrase. You've already put it off. This is how you've learned Christ. But then look what he says in 3.10 that you have put on the new self which is being renewed. That's Ephesians 4.23 in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he says, look at verse 12. Put on then, in other words, live this out as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, here's what the new self is, is forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, he says there in verse 13, you must also forgive. And then you're to put on love. And so there you see Paul says to put on the new self. And at 3.10, he says to put on the new self. Paul actually says it this way in Galatians 3.27. Clothe yourself with Christ. This is very similar. If you look back, go back to the book of Ephesians just a few pages. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's similar to what he says in 6.11 where he says to put on the whole armor of God. In other words, Satan has already been defeated. His death blow has been dealt, if you will, at the cross and subsequent resurrection. But he's telling you right now, as you live in the middle, to put on Christ, to put on this type of clothing in here, to put on the full armor of God. God. Paul says it in another unique way in the book of Romans, in Romans 13, 12, where he says to put on the armor of light. He says in 3, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You say, what what do you mean to put on? This is your identity. He says your identity is in Christ Live that way, is what the thought is. I remember, and I think I've told you this a few months back, that one time I was over at my aunt's house, and we were in the backyard. I must have been, I don't know, six or seven. I've mentioned this to you. And there was a, a can back there, and there was a hammer back there. And so just being a boy, I begin to strike that can, and I just thought it was so cool to see the hammer head dent the can, okay? It just dented the can. I thought, this is just cool. You could just hit that thing and it, you know, it just, and I did that about five or six times. And on the seventh time, that can exploded. It was a, it was a spray paint can, okay? And it just exploded on me. And I mentioned to you that I had paint everywhere. It was in my eye, it was on my eyelids, it was in my nose, it was in my mouth, it was on my teeth, it was in my ears, it was on my, it was, uh, on my neck. I mean, I looked like a Dalmatian, if you will. It was horrible. And I mentioned that my mom had kind of just threw me there into the shower and began to get this stuff called turpentine, which... I hope I don't get skin cancer from that. And she began to get all this stuff off, but I think it took a week or so to get that pain off. But I came out of that bath or that shower, if you will, and you don't think I returned to the old clothes, do you? I mean, I could just tell you, obviously those clothes were toast. I discarded those clothes, and I donned a fresh set of clothes to never hit that can of paint or a can of paint again, I assure you. But you would say, of course, Scott, you didn't put those on. Of course, you didn't put on those filthy, spray-painted clothes. In fact, not only did I not put them on, we threw them away. They were ruined. What Paul is saying to you is as you've come to Christ, you're not going to come out of your former background and go live like the world that was in darkness, that was mindless, that was decadent, that was callous, that was hard-hearted. No, you've changed your team. You've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've put on His life. You've donned a fresh new set of clothes, and here's what Paul's saying, is be who you are in your identity. It is a wonderful picture of your salvation. You have shed your former life, and you are, whether you think about it or not, are a new person. You are a new self. In other words, the old man and the old self no longer reigns. Sin no longer owns you. Sin no longer controls you. Sin no longer is your master. You have become a completely new person. In fact, you, if you read in church history, you'll find that at the early church, in the subject of baptism, often those who were baptismal candidates, if you will, were, their old garments were taken off and they would be baptized in a white robe, And of course, the white robe was a symbol that they had left their former manner of life, and I think a fitting picture, off with the old and in with the new. You say, well, how does that help you, Scott? Well, in every way. I just remember at times when I was a young man, and I was playing college basketball at a place called Pierce Junior College, and... It was a wild time with a wild group of guys. And I think I've mentioned this to you, but their goal on the road trips and in the week was to, to get me drunk. And they, they couldn't believe that I, I didn't drink. They couldn't believe that I, wasn't having, that I wasn't having an impure relationship with a girl at that time. And they sought to kind of Manipulate me. And you say, Well, Scott, did you succumb to it? Uh, My answer would be certainly not in my own strength, absolutely not. You say, Why? Because I had known what Christ had done in my life. I was a new person with a new identity, with a new heart, with new affections, with a new love. I wasn't perfect, but I never faltered. Because I knew who I was in Christ Jesus. I knew that he had saved me. I knew that he had redeemed me. I knew that he had forgiven all my sins. I knew that I was a new creation. You say, well, Scott, how did you know that you were a new creation? I suppose I knew the truth of some of the scriptures that I was saying to you. But even more than that, I knew I was different from the inside out. I knew that that day that I got down on my knees at 14, something wonderfully happened and transformed my life from the inside out. The things that I once, you know, hated, I now loved. And the things that I once loved, I now hated. And so I knew that I was a new man. He changed me. This is something of what Paul is saying. There's our position in Christ in sanctification. Sanctification. But secondly, would you note this? There's something important. It's what we can call our pathway to sanctification. It's a a fabulous phrase. Look at the text back in Ephesians 4.24. He says not only are you to put on as a a command, if you will, the, the new self. And then he says this phrase, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's the pathway to sanctification. Here's the progress, if you will, towards sanctification. He said created, this is amazing, after the likeness of God. So what does that mean there in 24, the likeness of God? Well, you remember back in the book of Genesis in 126 that God said, let us make man in our own, what, image after our own image likeness and so it said that God created man in his own image in the image of God he created them and it was real specific there though our society is not specific he created them male and what? female that's what God the creator did so that first Adam if you will in Genesis 1 was created in the image of God but we know the story that that first Adam sinned. He fell short of God's glory. But now in Christ, we become a new man. So we might say that the image of God that was lost in the first Adam through sin is now restored in the second Adam in Romans 5, which is Christ, and Christ is the very one in 2 Corinthians 4 who is the image of the invisible God. And so here's the pathway to our sanctification. Created, look at verse 24 again, after the likeness of God, and it says there in 24, created. In other words, he called you into existence. Like Genesis 1, when God created the world, now he's created you. You say, what do you mean he created me? Well, look back at Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that famous text, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He made you alive, you who were dead. I was dead. He breathed life into me. He created you, if you will. He caused you to come into existence there. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, here's his power in 2.10, created in Christ Jesus. And so here, in chapter 4, in verse 24, he said, created after the likeness of God. What do you mean to be created after the likeness of God? Look at chapter 5, in verse 1 of Ephesians, where he tells us, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, you once were bound in darkness, you once were callous, you once were hard-hearted. You once were ignorant. You once were dominated by the lust of this deceit. God comes in, saves you, makes you a new person. He breathes life into you, and he creates in you what was lost in the first Adam. He creates in you the person of Christ, who is the very image of God, and he makes you new altogether. So paradise lost is now restored in Christ. Peter says it this way, that we become partakers of his divine nature, 2 Peter 1.14. You say, well, Scott, what, what, a little bit more. What does that mean there? Created after the likeness of God. In other words, you begin to take on his characteristics. It doesn't mean you become God. You understand that, and I do. But you begin to take on the characteristics of God. That once, what, what once marked you, now lo- no longer marks you. Now you've been made new from the inside out. You're taking off, if you will, that old man who you once were. You're renewing your mind daily. And now you're going to don and put on the new clothes every single day. You say, well, what is that new man? What is that creation? What is that likeness like? Look at the text again. In verse 24, in the likeness of God, it says there, in true righteousness and holiness. Let me summarize here, and I think this is a summary of Scripture. You're created, he doesn't call out all the attributes of God. He calls out two attributes of God. He calls out righteousness, or justice, and he calls out the idea of holiness. Now, there's much that he could have said here, but he, he calls on this, righteousness and holiness. You say, what are they? Well, we're created in righteousness, and I think the righteousness, therefore, is our relationship with our fellow man. It's the second half of the Ten Commandments. Holiness, if you will, is our duty before God, the first five commandments, And so I think he pulls these attributes out to summarize all the law, all the prophets, and even the teaching of Christ in the New Testament to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in Deuteronomy 32.4, he's called the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are just. He's a God of faithfulness and without injustice. And then it says there in 32.4, just and holy is he. Or literally, righteous and holy is he. What Paul's saying here is this is a little bit of the new man. This is who he made you to be. This is who he created you to be. This is the uniform that was placed on you at your salvation Far from being, you know, walking in the lust of deceit and greedy for gain in verse, where is that? In verse 22, through deceitful desires. He's made you brand new. He's made you new to be righteous before others and holy before God. You say, what does the word holy mean here? It's interesting. It just means to cut in the Hebrew. Even a little bit more close, it means to separate It's the ideal of to be set apart. Someone who is holy is someone who is set apart. Sometimes people even translate that phrase to be a cut above something. And primarily, it refers to God. He is separate, if you will, from creation. He is exalted above it. He is so majestic and so far above above our creation that We understand that he is holy. Isaiah 57, 15 says, the high, he's that he's the high and lifted up who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So when you think about what holy means, it begins with God. It begins with his character. Exodus 15:11, Moses said, Who is like you? He said, Majestic in holiness. So God, in in his person, in his essence, is holy. But also, over 600 times, that word is used in the scripture, it's used of persons, and it's used of things separated from the ordinary and placed in a special relationship with God. We understand that there's holy ground, there's holy Sabbath. There's a holy nation. In other words, there's nations, but Israel was a holy nation. There's ground, but there's holy ground, Moses. So remove your sandals. There's Sabbath days, but in the Old Testament, there were holy Sabbaths and so forth. So these things were separated from what is common, but dedicated to God's service. And in the same way, we are called to be holy, just as God is holy, we are to be separate from sin. And in our character, what we once were has now been transformed, patterned after the likeness of God in righteousness and justice and in holiness. And so you're called to be holy. Consecrate yourself. It says this in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. Holy for I am holy. In other words, God says, I'm holy. And now he says to you, you shall be holy. In other words, whatever your Christian life looks like, you should be different. You should be set apart. You shouldn't look like the world. You shouldn't talk like the world. You shouldn't listen to the world's music and go after the world's stuff. He has sovereignly redeemed you, saved you, forgiven you, and now he's set you apart. And he who is holy and separate from all creation has now called you to be holy. It says in Leviticus 11, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. I like that. So we're created after the image of God. What way? Not after the physical components because God the Father doesn't have flesh and blood. But we're created after the likeness of God to be like him. What is he like? He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of justice. And he's a God that is holy. In fact, Peter in that first epistle quoting from Leviticus 11 and 19 he said as he who called you 115, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So here is that pathway to sanctification, there's a a position, but there's a pathway, it's in the righteousness and holiness, and here in verse 24, it comes from the truth. It says here in the text, in true righteousness and holiness, I think it's best to say that it comes from the truth, that the source and origin of this holiness, of this righteousness, is God and Jesus Christ, who are found in the truth of Scripture. He's obviously referring to truth and opposite of the lust of deceit. So, beloved, here's the position Here's the pathway, but let me thirdly identify a problem in sanctification. A problem in sanctification. Would you take your Bible just for a moment and look over to the book of Romans? Let me just take you there. This is so important. You say, we do live in the middle, yes. And living in the middle between justification and glorification, we find ourselves in warfare we find ourselves in a problem and what is the problem well look at paul and his argument in romans 7 verse 15 he says i do not 715 understand my own actions i don't get it sometimes paul says for i do not do what i want but i do the very thing i hate this is fascinating he says, I want to do this, but I don't do it, and I do the things that I, that, I, that I hate. Look at verse 17. He said, so now it is no longer I, I, I think he's saying the new self there, who do it. Then who is doing it? He says, but sin that dwells within me. Fascinating. As you pursue this life in the middle There is a problem, and the problem here is indwelling sin. Now, beloved, I want to be clear, and I don't want to confuse you. You don't have two natures this morning. You're not part old man and part new man. You are a new man with a new identity. You are a new self. You are not, if you will, schizophrenic, okay? But you still have unredeemed flesh. And so what Paul is saying is there is an I in me, in the new self, that desires to obey God, but there is sin inside me, which he says there indwells me. In other words, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're a new creature, but you and I are still left with uh, uh, the residue of our unredeemed flesh, it's even hard to qualify it. There's part of you, part of me, even in Christ, where sin dwells in you, and they compete against each other. In other words, there is still a beast lying awake, ready to spring inside your soul. And more than your soul, it gives life to your feet, to your hands, to your eyes, and to your ears. Indwelling sin. You say, well, what is it? Look down in Romans 7.20. He says, now if I do what I want, I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And though we have a new nature, we sometimes lose the battle to indwelling sin. There is a battle with this new nature And the sin which indwells in us, it's called unredeemed flesh. Paul said the desire is present to do good, but the actual doing of good is not. Paul is saying there is an I, the new self, that desires to obey God, but there is still left inside of me, in my flesh, sin that competes with my godly desire. So here the problem in sanctification is indwelling sin. It is not my new self, Paul is saying. I want to do what's right, but in my actions, I do another. And he says, I I hate this, okay? The problem is indwelling sin. So you say, well, who's to blame for sin? I don't think Paul is excusing himself here, but he's saying it's not the new self, It's not the new man. It's indwelling sin in my flesh. So look what he says in 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, have you ever felt this way? Evil lies close at my hand. Verse 22. For I delight truly in the law of God in my inner being, And so the one, Paul says, who desires to do good also finds evil close at hand. And as such, the flesh and holiness are often present simultaneously. See, Paul, he wants to help us here. In other words, deep down in his heart, he loved God. Deep down in his heart, he loved God's law. Deep down in his inner being, he desired to obey God in that inner self, in that inner being, but at the same time, he said, evil is present within me. Let me see if I could paint a picture of it. Sin for us is like an exiled ruler, it no longer reigns in our life, but it manages to survive. And it finds its residual effect in our unredeemed flesh until we meet the Lord at death and become glorified. In fact, look what he said in 7.23. Paul said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. That's his new self. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my mind members. So though there's not two natures, there are two laws. It's the law of sin, the law of the flesh, or it's the, positively, the law of the mind or grace. He says, I desire to do what pleases God, but my desire is often thwarted. In my innermost being, Paul says, I love the Lord, yet in my unredeemed flesh, I end up doing the very opposite. He said, my flesh sometimes takes me captive. In fact, look at verse 11 of chapter 7 of Romans. For sin, that that indwelling, unredeemed flesh, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, he said, it killed me. Beloved, let me just say this to you as we go to the Lord's table. We live in the middle You're not wholly redeemed and glorified yet. You live in between justification and glorification. And you are put in a process of sanctification that is to be continual, but it's continual so much so that you need to remind yourself of who you are to put off the old man and to put on the new man and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so you live in the middle. And some of you, that's all of us, it's super hard, isn't it? But some of you become so discouraged because you live in the middle. Some of you just would like and wouldn't it be great to get rid of your sin all at once? Wouldn't it be great if you came to Christ and then all, he does change you from the inside out, but you are going to be the product of what you put inside your thinking cap for the rest of your life. And until you get to glory, you are in a spiritual warfare, not a biological weapons, but the the warfare that wages war against your soul. You are in a boxing match. And Paul said, I discipline my body. I buffet my body. I give myself a black eye, lest possibly after I preach to others, I should be disqualified. And some of you, you have to remember that you don't just walk an aisle and pray a prayer. You get saved and you're justified. He declares you righteous. But you enter into this process called sanctification where he's growing you into the likeness of Christ and he's teaching you at least these three things that you need to mortify the flesh, that you need to meditate on his word, and thirdly, you need to begin to manifest the character of God and Christ that's consistent with righteousness and holiness. So listen, beloved, it is a fight. It is a war. It is, is as I said to my son when I wrote in his Bible, kill sin or it will kill you. But here's the great hope that we have. Christ and the Holy Spirit are in our corner like a boxer, like a manager with his boxer, encouraging us. Christ is reminding us of his promises. He's holding the bucket, if you will, to spit in. He's putting his arm around us. He's motivating us to continue with the fight. Oh, yes, Paul is saying sin's going to get its jabs in on you. You're going to get clocked once in a while. Sin is going to bring you at times to your knees. But listen, you will win the fight. You will go the distance. The king is on his throne. And so when he died, you died. And when he was raised, you were raised. Here's the admonition. Here's the imperative. You need to kill sin. You need to mortify it. You need to meditate daily on the word of God. And you need to manifest the person of God in Christ that you were meant to do. You say, well, Scott, how do I put it all into practice? Look back in Ephesians. How do I put this all into practice? Well, I think it's on the final slide there. Keep going on that next slide. And uh, there it is. He's going to give five illustrations in the weeks to come. You're going to go from falsehood, from lies to telling the truth. You're going to go from sinful anger to righteous anger. We're going to talk about that. What you got to put on, what you got to put on. You're going to go from stealing to being those who share from corrupting words to edifying words and from vices that marked our life to virtues. May that be, through the Spirit of God, our desire and our prayer. Would you bow your head as I call the worship team forward.